What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Flight 101. Today's flight will be three hours following takeoff. Please ensure your seat is in the upright position and your seatbelt is fastened. Today's in-flight entertainment is Veronica Live. Coming to you from Magic Broadcasting. News Talk at 101. Sit back and enjoy the show. Flight 101, you're cleared for takeoff. Welcome back to Veronica Live, and I'm in here with my wingman, um, Jennifer, who used to live in Virginia, and so the last three years you've been here, so off air, you were talking about how great Florida is, so tell me why. Um, well, there's sun and beaches, I'm still trying to get used to <laughs> the heat in the summer, um, friendly, wonderful people, and I, we were just talking off air, I was just commenting about how it seems like Florida, since um, Ron DeSantis has been governor has really cleaned up their elections you know having being been in virginia um you know every election it's like oh boy okay we got to wait for florida and you know hanging chad hell and all that kind of stuff <laughs> how do people vote in, in virginia is it machines like us um it's it's you fill out uh you know the the, okay. the circle and then okay. you stick your ballot i guess okay paper. just like here. yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but I, it just seemed like, I, I know I was listening to Governor DeSantis one time talk about how, um, there was a gal in Broward County that was, I think she had been there since, you know, hanging Chad hell, which I voted in Bush that election, Gore, you know, era. And I don't, he showed her the door and next thing you know, voila, two time zone, Florida has it together and, you know, all ballots counted and done. Right. I mean, it's so much better. It's amazing. Well, I yeah. Unfortunately, it's, other states have, you know, adopted the old model where they can't get it together and have to take days to count. Well, and, and then every political person that I've talked to feel that that's the only way they're going to be able, they're going to try to steal it again in ways. And there's no way in Florida you can steal right. it here. I, I mean, one time I went to vote and I normally, I use my credit card for everything. So I just wrote the V and for Veronica and the lady knew me who was giving me my ballot and was like that doesn't match and I, I had to look at my signature to see what it how I'm supposed to sign this thing right. you know and and so I mean they take it seriously here and I was like nobody's stealing anything I couldn't even get my own ballot and it was me and the lady knew me right so yeah I, I do like how for, uh, Florida has led the way right that way yeah, I remember years ago, I lived in Connecticut, and my late husband, Joe, um, we got this, like, letter from, it was somebody in the Republican Party <clears throat> chastising him because he had voted twice. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. He was TDY. so Really? I, yeah, so um, I had to kind of get to the bottom of it, and, I mean, they were really rude about it. And I'm like, he is a TDY. He is a member of, you know, the military. He's not cheating and voting twice. It turned out there was an, another Joe that um, was a college kid that had voted 
you know, and they of, got confused and they got confused. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, you know, I mean, unfortunately that happened, but that's the way to do it. Like take it seriously. One person, one vote. So then it matters. Mad. Your husband's oh, serving. Oh honey, I got nation. hot too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, cause I had to take care of it. Cause back then. Right. Oh, 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 the olden days before the, the olden internet. Days. Yes. But no, I mean, and we'll ask Evan when he joins us at 830, you know, how's it looking? Cause Florida does always lead the way. And it's funny because I do have some diehard Republican friends here in the state that wish we would only vote on election day. And then I've talked about it, too, that's before COVID. That's when I would vote. But since COVID, I just want to make sure my vote gets in. Right. So I'll vote early. Right. You know, because I'm so worried now that something's going to happen. Well, and I understand that voting on election day, but I feel like, you know, um, that's not how the other side does it. And, well, we saw that one, yeah, one and, woman stuffing. Jesse right. Waters like had a really funny story. <laughs> this this African American lady like stuffing ballots, stuffing, stuffing, stuffing. So, I, I guess you just have. I feel like not not in a, um, a dishonest way, but I mean, sometimes you have to play play the game that they're playing. And if well, it's vote on more than one day, then I that's think we what have to play do. that game because, because I want to make sure we're voting right. And there's always like problems on on you know, election day and, oh, we can't get the machines to work, you know, conveniently. So, <laughs> well, and we've had people that their vote didn't go Republican. It came well, out that totally too. Democrat. Yeah. So, you know, and I've had the supervisor of election on it in, in here and he's a former Navy SEAL. So Mark Anderson kicks ass, as we all know, and, and we adore him, especially if you lived here after Hurricane Michael. He had it, we, you know, at an elementary school. I was literally crying because I could still vote. It was so moving. Mm. But, um, yeah, and here I've asked him, why don't we ma- take what we do in Florida and make it statewide? And, and he didn't, he didn't want to do that. He wants people to, their states to figure it out. But, you know, I kind of want it to all be the same so that it's done correctly and honestly, and I want voter ID. How hard is it for voter ID? Yeah, I don't really understand. You have to show an ID for everything. I'm not quite understanding why you don't need to show an ID for voting. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, but it's crazy. But um, You're disenfranchising people if you ask to show their ID. I don't understand that, but that's what they say. Right, right. Well, um, I'm in here with, again, I'm, first time wingman. Jennifer, you're doing great. Oh, How's it going? You. It's it's okay. This is <laughs> totally out of my wheelhouse. But, you know, and we were lieutenants, first lieutenants back in Germany, back in the day. We, yeah. I ate a lot of Jägerschnitzel back then. Mm, I that's say. when we could, back when <laughs> we had it. <laughs> not not so much Jägerschnitzel in our lives now. Uh, and lots of Bitburger beer, but it was fun catching up with you too this week because we told our war stories. We both work for generals um, after we left working at yeah. the command posts together. So that was really fun. But um, at 8.30, we're going to be joined by Vice Chairman Evan Power from the Republican Party of Florida, the entire state. He helps oversee that. And he's running to represent Florida with the RNC on the RNC stage. And I'm in here with my wingman, Jennifer. So And um, Ambassador Grinnell is going to join me at 10 a.m. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Patriot Veronica loves God, guns, 
America and talking to you. Call Veronica live now at 233-9988. Welcome back to Veronica Live. And we are here with our vice chairman, Evan Power. He represents the Republican Party of Florida. And... You know, Florida always leads the way, Evan, because you can't win the White House without Florida. And Thursday night was this tremendous debate with Governor Newsom from California. The West meets our sharp Governor DeSantis, the East Coast. And I'm sure you were tuned in. So I wanted to hear your thoughts about this debate. Well, you know, anytime we have a chance to to tell people about what Florida is doing and achieving is a great opportunity to tell people why Florida and the conservative model we've created is winning. And I think it was just another opportunity to get people to see what we're doing right here in Florida and what Governor Newsom has done horribly and what Democrats want to do to our country is what's happening in California. So um, what were your thoughts on the debate? I mean, I thought Governor um, DeSantis looked really strong. And, you know, it was kind of Governor Newsom's first time showing, you know, his – his good-looking hair and teeth, and, and you know, first time he'd made that national stage appearance, but I'm Team DeSantis, so how did you think they, they did overall? No, I think the governor always does a great job of telling the story of Florida and what's worked, and I think, you know, Governor Newsom is a smooth talker, but when you're, when you're faced with having to sell facts that don't work in, on your side, he does his arguments fall apart, and I think the governor did a good job of taking them apart. And I think, from what I've been reading on the internet, is that apparently Governor Newsom's wife threw in the towel to stop. Right, the right, so <laughs> right. I was shocked by that. Um, that that his wife, I, I guess, is in charge. So, um, but one of the things, you know, I am proud of Florida, Evan, that we lead the way when it comes to abortion. And I, you know, I, I just don't know how these Dems can sit there. And they're okay with killing a baby up to nine months, you know. And and so I've been so proud of Governor DeSantis and and when it comes to uh, being pro-life. Well, and and I say this, and I've said this on a lot of interviews recently, because they keep wanting to make abortion a number one issue. But we we litigated that in the last election, and here in Florida we won by 20 points, with that being the main issue that they were running on. So I think we've already litigated that here in Florida, and it's just – yeah, the people of Florida aren't okay with that. So I think, you know, uh, that that says a lot about our electoral strength here in Florida, but it also tells tells us that it's not the issue the Democrats think it is. Right. So are you going to be at the next um, Republican debate? I don't know. Um, uh, I guess the next one's in Alabama. I'm kind of losing track of the session's <laughs> coming up and worried about all those things. But and, and and I have the newborn who takes up more of my time I than, I, than I would have thought. Who but, wears FSU uh, little clothing when there's an FSU game. I just want to go on record and, you know, the cutest baby ever. Well, he's ready. We got an outfit laid out tonight. It's been good luck. <laughs> he, hasn't seen a, he hasn't seen a loss yet, so we got to keep that up. But, um, yeah, so I don't know if I'm going to go or not, but I, we will be tuning in. I think, you know, I think obviously anytime we have a chance to display where – we're coming from as Republicans, it's a win. And, and I think all of those are good venues for us to be able to present our views. And then, um, I, and you probably can't answer, but, uh, you know, the, the the stage amount of members now, it's getting smaller. And I Nikki Haley keeps punching at DeSantis, thinking that she's better than, than him. And, um, and, and we still have Chris Christie and Ramaswari. So when are we going to get to just like two? 
Well, I think this process always narrows pretty quickly when we get to Iowa and New Hampshire. So I think that's going to happen, and it's going to have its results. And I think, you know, obviously we're going to have a nominee at the end of this. And I think what's important from a, a Republican Party of Florida standpoint is we're ready to go on day one when we have a nominee to, to make sure that we ensure victory here in Florida. But even more important is we need the National Party to be ready to deliver a victory for, um, for our Republican nominee because we cannot afford another four years of Joe Biden. No, we can't. And, you know, I'm reading news 24-7, and um, clearly senior Dems have off the record said it's going to be President Biden. So aren't we, shouldn't this be an easy race for us to to win, Evan? You would think so. Um, (laughs) You know, I I live in disbelief sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, by any metric, if you look at when, when President Trump left the Oval Office, our country was stronger, it was safer, and it was economically prosperous. By any metric you look at, we are less strong, less safe, and less prosperous. That should make for an easy election. I think we just have to get through the noise and do the blocking and tackling we need to do to, to, to win an election. And um, how's it going in Florida? Because we always lead the way when it comes to everything, when it comes well, to voting. You know, we, had, we had the most conservative legislative session last year. I think we're going to have another good one this year. And then from from a ground game standpoint, we keep registering more Republicans and keep running up that score. I think Florida is a red state. It will be a red state for for perpetuity, hopefully. Um, It'll be a red state for a while. And we just got to make sure that our friends in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Arizona um, come through like they should also. Well, and then have have other states reached out to to um, the RPOF because we are such leaders and we do it so right? Well, I don't think they have. And I think part of the problem is I think we have to do a better job from a national party standpoint of taking the lessons we've learned in Florida and applying them across. And, you know, I, I think too many times we let consultants and inside the beltway make these decisions and they don't know what's actually happening on the ground. We see that in Florida all the time is, People come from Washington and tell us what we should be doing, and the fact is that the guys on the ground here know much better about Florida. So we need to we need to train people on what we've done in Florida and let them use their local knowledge to to build. and it, And it starts really an inverse relationship for what we've been doing. It's not top down; it's got to be bottom up from county parties on up. Well, I've got a, a a new wingman in here today, Jennifer, and I know she had a question to ask you too, Evan. Hi, Evan. Okay. Uh, I just hi. Asked, how are you? <laughs> I was just Good. wondering um, if if there you find any challenges having two of the top runners here in Florida, Trump and Governor DeSantis, President Trump and Governor DeSantis. Well, it, it makes life a little more difficult for me on, <laughs> on on media because everyone wants to ask the question of who I want. But but you know, I I always say this, and I think it's really interesting: is that Florida has a great story to tell. And by having both of them here, it's made uh, Florida the center of the political universe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's allowed, uh, and it's given us more opportunities to tell the story of what we've done here in Florida, which I think is a win for everybody. So personally, sometimes it's a little bit challenging to try to be, to try to stay out of that fray. Um, but, but at the end of the day, we're going to have a nominee. We're all going to get behind that nominee and we're going to be a stronger party and, and have been able to tell the Florida story, which I think is important. So I know in, uh, when you guys, the RPOF comes together, is it February you guys are coming together again this year? 
Yes. And, and one of the, I know last time um, we had chatted about Senator Scott, you guys might just endorse him fully. Is that still on the docket right now, or you'll decide that when you guys come together in February? That will be on the docket in February. Uh, it's a two-stage process. We've okay. board endorsed him, and, and now the full committee has to endorse him. Got it. Uh, well, and I wanted to talk, we have about two minutes till the break, Evan. You have been in full throttle, you know, going mock, um, running for to be Florida's Republican National Committee man to replace Peter Feynman, who I've adored for years, and he's been on Veronica Live many times, too. Um, oh, my gosh, you are just racking and stacking all these endorsements. Is there anyone running against you? That was one question I had because I haven't heard about anybody but you. And how's that race going? There, there is one person who got in the race um, before Peter Feynman um, announced he was retiring. Um, but, um, you know, I'm doing really well. I'm talking to a lot of people. I, I, I You know, obviously I have um, a number of endorsements. Oh, my gosh. We're pretty... I think we're pretty close to. Um, I think there would be big announcements in the days ahead on um, on having the number of people that we need to to have to secure that that election. And, and you know, and I'm just enjoying talking to these county party leaders and 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 seeing what they need they want from the RNC. And a lot of them share our view that the RNC needs to do a better job to make sure that we take that the Florida victories and apply them nationwide so that we don't see the same failure that we were having in, in across the country apply to us here in Florida. Uh, and, and we've got uh, about a minute till the break. I mean, you've got Congressman Kat Kamak, our Congressman Neil Dunn. There was a whole, I mean, there was all kinds of stuff on the graphic on your Facebook page. Is, is that like just so humbling to have just and wonderful to have all these people endorse you, all these counties? I, I'm just scrolling through it now and it's like five million. No, it's been, it's been an, uh, it's been a humbling experience just because it's, a lot of um, national leaders who I yeah. respect and admire, and um, to have them put their trust in me is important and, and is very humbling, and it makes me feel feel good about what we can accomplish all together. Well, um, we're in here. I'm talking to Vice Chairman Evan Power, and when we come back, I want to talk about uh, you know what what that Florida position on the RNC stage looks like and what you hope to do. If you get there, and I just bumped into you, you were at the Senator Scott dinner in um, Walton County, and I thought his speech was on fire, and Congressman Gates, too. But we'll be right back with Evan Power, our vice chairman of the Republican Party of Florida. It's time to start your day with Patriot and Air Force veteran Veronica with a shot of conservatism. Call Veronica Live now at 233-9988. Welcome back to Veronica Live, and we're here with our vice chairman, Evan Power, from the Republican Party of Florida. And, um, Evan, you have thrown your hat in the ring to represent Florida at the Republican National Committee. Um, so what what do what do what does that position do on behalf of Florida at that level? So Florida has three members of the Republican National Committee. The chair has, is a member as long as they're the chair. And then uh, there's a National Committee man and a commi- National Committee woman. And the, the two jobs of the National Committee man and Committee woman is to represent Florida's interest at the RNC and influence RNC policy. So for my view um, of what the role would be for me is I would be advocating for 
for the RNC to change the way that they work to more mirror what we're doing here in Florida and to, to try to focus more on, on winning uh, races in some of these places where we've not been successful as of late. Yeah, well, that's great. We'd love to have you up there. And then are you a fan of uh, Ronna McDaniels or that you still keep to yourself? Because you're always very neutral. No, I, I mean, I publicly did not think that Ronna was, would, would have been my choice had I had a vote when she was elected last time. Obviously, she was elected, so I'd be, you know, I think you have to honor that election and go through the term. Um, she's not running again, so I think that that would be one of the things that I would be focused on after I become national committee man is finding who, who can lead the, the party forward in the future. And, and, you know, I think, as I've said before, the Florida model really works and we need to, we need to do things that work on a national level because we cannot afford more years of not being able to control the Senate, not being able to yeah. have a large majority in the house and not control the white house. Uh, so true. Um, and a, a couple weeks ago, I bumped into you, you were at the Fort Walton dinner and Senator Scott was the keynote and I've heard him speak for 10 years, and this this time he came from behind the podium. He was so relaxed, and he kept saying we need to be vocal and we need to vote. And so I was really moved by that speech that night because it's so important to be vocal because a lot of times Republicans, Evan, you know, they're too— they don't want controversy. They don't want to wear a MAGA hat. You know, we're always controversial now, apparently, you know, um, so I wanted to, to get your, your thoughts on, because you've probably heard him maybe give that speech a few times. I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I left wanting to, you know, I'm vocal every Saturday, but I want to be more vocal, and I want people to really vote this time because 2024 is so important. No, and I think Senator Scott has done such a good job. Um, you know, I've known him for a number of years, but yeah. this election cycle, he is the most articulate of our mission that he's ever been the most engaged he's ever been. He's going to every county he can possibly go. He's really fired up. And I think at that dinner, you had a real good collection with Senator Scott and Congressman Gates of people who've really challenged the Washington narrative and the status quo in Washington. And, you know, I think that that's important because what's happening in Washington is not serving the American people well. And I guess if you need a job done, you got to send Florida men and, and our <laughs> Florida men are doing a good job up there. Or me, I'll go. <laughs> um, uh, well. Because it, it just, it just seems like, it just seems like we're the, we're the state that has the, the representatives that have the guts to challenge the status quo, whether it was Senator Scott challenging Mitch McConnell yeah. or um, Congressman Gates challenging Kevin McCarthy. Took I think we, what we've had is, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, I think it, it, it just is, we look around what we've done in Florida and don't understand why the nation doesn't look like us. I, I just, um, I like that Florida um, people in Washington, they remember who they work for. You know, they represent, they represent the people and they seem to be trying to, you know, work for the people versus their own interests. Their, so. po- their wallets, yes, Evan, I'll yes. say it, their wallets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's important. I think I think it's important because it's generally people who have or have been there for a lot less time than some of the people in D.C. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, Congressman Gates was fabulous that night as well, and he talked. You know, the, I mean, the poor guy's been beat up, and and then there was a recent poll that came out saying his constituents don't support him. But I haven't met a Floridian yet, at least here in the Panhandle, that doesn't like him. So, you know, because and he was so passionate that that. Um, it's sometimes it's hard to stand up. I mean, 
what were your thoughts on that, on his speech that night and then how he represents? I mean, he, he's truly a fighter. He's truly a fighter for us. Yeah, and I mean, and when you're a fighter, you're a little more polarizing with the Democrats because you because uh, all the controversies that come with that. But I think his speech has always been good. He's in tune with his constituents, and, and he's been challenged every time he's run for re-election, and he wins overwhelmingly. I think they can pull all they want, but the fact is that he knows who his bosses are, yeah. and those are the residents of the panhandle, and he delivers for them. Very, very true. And um, at that dinner, CFO Patronus, uh, Jimmy Patronus, spoke as well, and he was on fire, and a, a year a year ago he was on my show. He was recently on the show, like two weeks ago. But a year ago he said he was okay. His wife had cleared him to run for governor, and he looked so um, gubna. What's the word? Gubernatorial. <laughs> I can't even say that word this morning. As well, Evan. I mean, we are just on fire with our leadership, even at at the tally level. Yeah, we have we've got good leaders all across, and I think you know the one thing I'll say about um, CFO Patronus is along with Matt Gates, is we've got some good leaders in the panhandle and they're on a big stage now for the first time. You know, yeah. a lot of times around our state, people forget about North Florida and the panhandle, but it's hard to forget about us now that we have so many good leaders that are coming from our area. Yeah. So, and you live in Tallahassee. So what is that like? I mean, the Dems must be crying every day over there because we're, we're doing so yeah. well. They, they don't like me here, so I took over as chairman in a blue county, and I'm out number two to one. But somehow we managed to elect a state senator here for the first time as a Republican for the first time since Reconstruction. And Corey Simon is delivering, and, and um, we're seeing converts who see that Republicans um, are, are able to be successful and why have they voted for Democrats time and time again when you have somebody who can deliver for them. <laughs> so what what are you seeing um, for the state of Florida, Florida that Jennifer and I need to share, that you need to share with the, the panhandle? Well, I, you know, I always tell my, my South Florida friends that all you have to do in elections is keep it close, and then my, my North Florida friends will deliver um, the election for them in a statewide election. But what we're seeing out there is that all these areas are becoming more red. Miami-Dade is more red. Palm Beach County, you would never think is becoming more red, but it is. Yeah. Um, people are just embracing what we've done to Florida, and, and people are coming here because it is a beacon of freedom for them. So I think what you're seeing in the panhandle that's been ruby red is starting to happen in other places. There's always going to be those places we got to fight, like Orlando right now. But you're seeing people... Um, embrace the the uh, mission that we've created and the um, and the the great governance we've we've delivered. No, that's fantastic. And is everything on track for twenty twenty four? I mean, Evan, if if Biden's reelected, I, I I just I personally can't handle it. I mean, I, I don't know. Especially Jennifer and I were talking um, offline this morning. I like the Jewish population voting Dem, and especially everything that's going on with Israel. I just don't understand it. And you're, if you look in your bank account, it's not the same as it was when Trump was in. The prices in stores, you know, trying to buy a house with the interest rate. So, um, I mean, well, big I mean, picture. I, I, mean, I, think, I, I think what we've seen is the Democrats break everything that they touch. I mean, they break the economy. They break national security. They break everything. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to deliver. I think we're prepared to deliver in Florida. I think we'll win by a larger margin than we ever have in Florida. We just got to hope that, that we do do we, we continue that blocking and tackling and building of a party across the nation. 
Well, um, I want to lead on a, a fun note. I know you're an FSU person, so how's it going <laughs> with the football team? <laughs> uh, it's, it's going great. I'm hoping for a good victory tonight, and I think, it, okay. and, you know, what, what, what the Internet will tell you is that, you know, we may be on the bubble, but if we win, we're in. I don't think they're going to leave us out, so hopefully we'll have a big victory tonight. Well, I can't even imagine. I mean, it would be so fun. I'm, You know, as a Gator and a Hurricane mom, um, I, I root for those teams, but I, I'm so proud of the Seminoles, and I hope you guys take it. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of what Mike Norville's done with this team because, you know, a lot of people doubted him when he got here, so he's delivered, and it's exciting. Well, um, good luck, Evan. We'll have we'll definitely have you back, and I, I know that you've you've been a leader in the Florida party for for years now. And thanks for fighting for Floridians. And um, is there any final thoughts on Governor DeSantis you want to share with the Panhandle? You know, I think he's done a good job, and and he continues to deliver. I think we're going to have another great legislative session that he's going to lead. And I, I'm just appreciative to have him as governor because of the great work he did during COVID and just for delivering, even though when people attack him on, on a legis- the most conservative legislative agenda we've ever had. And I think it's left us in a great place. Right. Well, have a blessed day and go Knowles, Evan. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore, air to ground, Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Well, um, that was our vice chairman, Evan Power. And, you know, there's a lot we didn't talk about with him. Mm. So we've got a minute and a half for you and I to talk. But, you know, the... The, the chairman of the Republican Party of Florida, breaking news two nights ago, and his wife, who was a co-founder of Moms for Liberty, um, he, the chairman has been, he's under allegations of raping a woman, and the governor yesterday came out and said he wants him to resign, and, um, and apparently this was a a woman, not his wife, but all of them were in some sort of menage a trois thing. And, and I, I'm just literally floored. I keep hoping this is not true. You know, lots of my Republican friends here in town are saying, you know, they think it's like a Kavanaugh experience. But right. I, I've been getting, you know. It also was interesting. It kind of came out right when the debate was oh, going on. Oh, the day of the that, debate so. it came out. But um, I am in here with uh, my wingman, Jennifer. It's her first time in here. You're doing great, Jennifer. And when Thank we come you. back, we're going to have um, D- Mayor Michael Doc Rowan, and we'll talk some of the issues. And the big issue is on the 15th, our town is going to be choosing who the next city manager is. And we'll be right back. Back to Veronica Live, and I am in here with um, Mayor Michael Doc Rowan, and I already had you booked, Mayor, because I wanted to talk about the city manager position, and since then, so much has happened. So welcome back, Mayor. Well, thank you, Veronica. It's a pleasure being here, and uh, as you noted, the city is uh, about to blow up here with all, this, all the happenings. It's, it's quite an exciting time. <laughs> and some of it we, we're, we won't talk about, but some... I mean, I, I wanted to talk about the 
the city manager position because General McQueen left, I think it was in July or June, maybe it was sooner than that, maybe it was June because uh, Superintendent Husfeld decided to step away early and then the governor put General McQueen into that position. And so you all have been on the hunt for a new city manager now for a long time. And was it 70 applicants? I thought it was uh, 60, but I was told it was 70 to 75. I didn't count them all, but I, it was a big sheaf of paper. But we did, 70 is a good number. We, we had an awful lot of applicants, yes. But you guys never did the, the headhunter to take it national? Correct. We never did that. We said that if we couldn't find them through advertising, that we would then we would do a headhunter, which might be time to get one. Well, and that's my next question is, um, so now you're down to two. So, so how did you get to two as a city council? Well, the way we got to two is we decided a while back, we had a process and we decided we were going to pick the top five and that we were going to then, in, we were going to then interview the top, uh, take, we were going to take the top five and pick the top three out of that. Well, one of the five dropped out. So then we had a top four. So then we were supposed to pick three out of the four and then they would be graded. If you go back and look at the grading that was done, two of the commissioners did not choose three people. One of them chose only one person, and the other chose two people, and three of us chose three people. So those numbers were added up, and we got to, we were supposed to take the top three. Well, one and two were obvious, but the top three was actually position three and four. So we really should have interviewed all four of them. And I made a motion to interview all four, but the commission decided to change the uh, process and only uh, only look at the top two. So the top two are actually coming December the 15th to be interviewed by the city commission in front of everyone. Public is invited and they will be interviewed. Um, I'm not sure I asked how we were going to do the process last meeting, but I was told the city city staff was going to take care of that. Um, I'm not sure after we interview these top two, we obviously have to vote on them. I don't know if it, ha I don't think we've decided whether it has to be unanimous or whether it's uh, three out of five. In other words, how they're going to be picked. I think we ought to pick, we ought to choose that before we talk to these people. Yes. Well, I'm mad about it because I'm like, I don't understand why people didn't follow the rules to begin with for the top three. And that wasn't kicked back and said, no, rank it, rack and stack, stack them. And isn't it true that everybody knows what everybody's votes, who they're voting for as well? Why is that open as well when eventually whoever it is, you're going to have to work with? Good points. All very valid points. And after we got this, uh, the rating system and went where the uh, people where two of the commissioners did not vote the way they were supposed to, the uh, city attorney said we could either start all over. Yeah. Or, we, or we could do what everybody wanted, to, what was voted, which was to choose the top two. Uh, we should have started all over or we should have interviewed every one of them in, in my estimation. But uh, I, I was overruled in those uh, in those uh, negotiations. And who were the? Are you allowed to say who the two commissioners in that public record that only that didn't follow the directions? Uh, my best guess, I know one was Jenna Halligus because she only voted for one. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Janice Lucas voted for two. Okay. And as far as I know, everybody else voted for three. I, I'm reasonably sure that's right. I, I don't have it sitting in front of me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's correct. And then you, you're telling, you're sharing with the panhandle that we don't know how it's going to go down on the 15th, what the rules of engagement are on this. Yes. That's correct. We, well, we I don't, don't understand <laughs> this, Mayor. 
I don't understand either. Are there not rules set I ahead mean, of time? I mean, this isn't our first city manager. Are we making this up as we go along? Well, actually, those are outstanding questions, and it is really actually the first time we've done this because when Mr. McQueen was selected, they were going through this process, and they they got uh, uh, they they got a list of people, and he was on the list, and he was so overwhelmingly positive that they just said, let's just take uh, Mr. McQueen, and they they just uh, threw the other ones all out, so to speak. And so they, so we've, the city has never actually gone through the process that we're going through now. And, and we're stumbling a little bit. We'll get through it, but we're, I would say we're stumbling a little bit. But I, I'm as a, you know, cause so many people are upset and have reached out to me and are angry and, and we know the 15th is right around the corner and you've got these two people and we don't know what the rules of engagement are. And, and I'm not blaming you, mayor. I'm just, this is frustrating for voters and people are frustrated because they've reached out to me, you know, and especially I know the last commission meeting people were frustrated and they want everybody to have know their roles and be respectful and, you know, that kind of thing. So so anyways, um, the 15th, we're going to get to meet these people. And then I know previously you talked about we could submit questions. Yes, yes, you could. People can uh, email the city clerk with questions. And she's supposed to pass them on to the commissioners. And we uh, get I'm, to see all of them? Because that's my thing. I want to make sure all, any questions submitted, which I'm going to send a few, and I've been telling people this is going to happen. I think that's reasonable that you should see the questions. The questions will actually go to the commissioners and myself, and we'll ask the questions. But I think it's fair to say that uh, it would be reasonable that everybody could see them. I, th- I think that's that sounds fair to me. Um, we're just... We're just trying, and we're, we, uh, and it's partly my fault. I asked if we could get the final process last meeting, and they said that the rest of the commission voted to let the staff do it, and, and we should have nailed it down as when we talk to these two people, are we going to vote on them? When are we going to vote on them? And uh, we, we, we got to get a little more concrete about this. And part, part of the problem, everybody knows we haven't done it, but that's even more reason that we got to get a little concrete and not change the rules as we go along. We've already changed the rules once. And when are when is the next time the whole commission is together? Only on the fifteenth? Are you meeting before then? We're meeting December the twelfth. Okay, and so that'll probably be when you iron out how the fifteenth is going to happen. I would certainly hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And then, are you having any meet the mayor before then, so that constituents can um, talk to you? No, I'm going to have my meet the mayor. I do it on the third Monday, so I'm going to do it December the 18th. So it'll be a couple of days after, but it will be before the, I would anticipate that it'll be for our final vote. So people will get to weigh in on it. Well, what if it ends up being the 15th and then the voters don't have that chance? Well, I don't think we'll have selected the person, but maybe we will. I don't, I don't know. They might, they might, in other words, we interview these people. We talk to them on the 15th. I doubt we'll vote that day, but who knows? We don't. We haven't set any rules of engagement in that regard. And um, so, can you talk about the two people in the resumes that you've seen? And then yes. my next question too is, they're they're voted in. Like, when do they start working? <laughs> you know. So, 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 tell us about the two people. Right now, the two people. One works for the city. He's the public works um, head of the public works. His name is Jonathan Hayes. He's a good man, but he has no managerial experience to, to the level we need. This is this job is a super job, and uh, he doesn't have that kind of experience. He has a bachelor's degree in public administration, and uh, he told me that it was in uh, political science. So, but his resume says uh, 
bachelor's in buzz ad and political science. Uh, the other one is uh, quite a profound individual. He has a bachelor's from Stetson. No, he has a law degree from Stetson University in, uh, that's around uh, DeLand, I think it is, or Tampa. Maybe it's, the school's in DeLand, I think. Yeah, it's is, definitely a Florida school. I don't know right. where it is, but it's I a think, good yeah, law. It's, it's an excellent law school, very, very prestigious. <clears throat> so he has a law degree from there. And then he has a bachelor's degree in engineering from the University of South Florida. This is this is a Florida boy. And, uh, excuse me, he's gone to Baltimore, and he's their co- compliance manager. He's done a whole bunch of things. He's got a great resume. Every one of the commissioners has interviewed multiple people, and they've all interviewed him. And, and he was on the short list for three out of the five of us. So it's not like he's uh, he, he's an outsider coming in, though. He has he probably is a registered Democrat, but he told me he is completely apolitical. But the uh, social media around here is uh, lambasting me for so selecting a Democrat. Well, and, I, I was going to say, because all the social media I've been reading about this, they they say that you're going to vote for this person. So, you know, but my frustration is, are the resumes strong enough? I mean, you did you have said he's an engineer. So that makes me feel a little better because running a city, there's a lot of engineering aspects to it with infrastructure because I've had McQueen and Bernicke in here a million times. So uh-huh. I know how horrible this city is. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. That is correct. I think, uh, and, and he's supposedly big in compliance and compliance is a big part of a uh, big part of our work nowadays, but, uh, he's managed a big, comp- big firm in Was- in uh, DC and, uh, Baltimore. And I, I give the guy credit, uh, for coming down here. He is, he, if, if he was discovered up there in Baltimore that he's looking for this job, he might get fired. And right now the, uh, the odds are against him getting it because people are lining up on the other side. Well, and, um, uh, I, when it comes to being the city manager, um, I, I'd asked to find out what the requirements are. And it says five years experience as a city manager or an equivalent management role is required you have to have a master's degree in public business administration, finance, ec- economic, or related field is preferred. And then the same with the bachelor's. And then it says, I don't I don't know, um, national incident management system training. And it's all these classes that you have to complete within 18 months of hiring. So um, there's a lot that goes into this job. There's an awful lot that goes into this job. And one thing people in Panama City need to understand, I digress slightly, but we have what's called a weak mayor system here in town. So actually the mayor and the commissioner have very little power. All the power resides in this guy. It, it all, well, he, and he and is I feel one. like we're giving it away without somebody that maybe has the experience that we need. Good point. Uh, we might be because it's, it's a, this, this person runs the town. The commissioner, I mean, Jeremy McQueen, we saw. Right. I think he did run the town. That's exactly right. We sort of give them, give the manager some direction, but uh, and and we have hiring and firing power over that person. If they were very bad, we could do that. But at the same time, we have a we have a weak man, manager. I mean, a weak mayor, weak commission system, where we sort of give guidance to the manager. But the manager makes all the big decisions. As a matter of fact, the may the manager right now can approve up to a hundred thousand dollars in ex, on any one line item without approval of anyone else. Pretty powerful position. Well, and and the budget isn't the budget three hundred fifty million for the city. That's correct. It's in the so, neighborhood. So that's of, one of my questions to these people: What kind of management have you dealt with millions of dollars 
I mean, in the military, we all, we all have budgets and are accountable for the money to the penny. What what experience do these people have? I mean, one's a lawyer, one, you know, one's in there now. Is he overseeing money? Right, so I, I, I want to ask the questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably neither one of them uh, measures totally up to there. That's why I ask people December the 15th, come on in there and listen to them. And, but, but uh, what, what power do people that actually live in Panama City have to stop it if it's the right the, the right or the wrong one is my question. Sounds like nobody has any power. And that's the, what I'm getting is people are angry. I, I hear you and I understand completely. And I'm not sure that people have any power to stop this thing. I don't know that I have any power to stop this thing. <clears throat> well, um, we are in here with Mayor Michael Doc Rowan and um, you're, you know, you're just in here. It's so fast, Doc, as usual. But we're talking about the city manager position because literally when you ha- have this microphone, people reach out to you um, and they're concerned. So uh, and I know you're feeling it. So we've got to make sure people show up December 18th. Is it at eight o'clock? December 15th. Oh, 15th. I'm sorry. December 15th is the voting. We'll be right back with uh, Doc Mayor Rowan in here. And we've got some more questions. Welcome back to Veronica Live, and we're in here with uh, Mayor Michael Doc Rowan. Sorry, my, my little Spanish bullfighter's coming out because I, I'm used to, as a military woman, structure, and I'm not blaming you, um, Doc, because it's obviously not you, but um, I, I did want to talk because the city manager role is so important, and, but my heart is still broken that the St. Andrews Yacht Club burned down, and I can't tell you how many events I've done over the last 10 years there for all kinds of things. And one of the things that came out that was so frustrating was apparently the fire hydrants didn't have water. And there's been all this ugly social media stuff. And and several of those homes around the St. Andrews um, Yacht Club are multi-million dollar homes. <laughs> and I just cannot believe this. So what is the true story about the fire hydrants? I would be PO'd if I own a multi-million dollar home and my house is on fire. And recently my neighborhood this year, one of our lovely houses caught on fire and you needed the fire hydrant working. I'd be PO'd if I had a house at all and there wasn't a fire right. hydrant. So whatever the price point, fire hydrants need to work. Extremely important <laughs> and uh, well taken. I was I was shocked because I, I went down, uh, I got an email that morning about the fire went down there. You can look right across the street from the burning fire and there's a fire hydrant not even plugged in. Well, we come to find out that there's probably over a hundred fire hydrants in the city that don't work. They, for one reason or other, they don't work. And uh, the city uh, public works has known about this. The fire chief knows about it. The chief said, and, and he's a good man, he said when they go out to a fire in the city, they know right away whether there's going to be a fire hydrant nearby so they can make different plans like to bring more water on more trucks if they need or get a longer hose so they can go find one that does work. But I was shocked. He, he, said, this, he said the fire chief says he reports to the public works. He tells them it doesn't work, and then it's up to public works to do whatever they do. And public works knew about this. And I understand maybe they didn't have enough money to fix them, but but why didn't we all know about it? Well, reverting back to my military, you get briefed on what airplanes aren't working and what parts we need. And to me, if the fire hydrant as a civilian in a neighborhood, that's one of the critical, that's critical. I thought the, uh, when you got insurance, that's one of the things they asked you. And yeah, I, I have uh, 
I found out on my street, we got a pretty long block and the fire hydrant's right in the middle and it's got a bag over it now that says non-functional. So they're out there. There's apparently one right on 23rd Street at 23rd and Jinx. Well, and you'd think that that would be something because our infrastructure is so old. I know it's archaic that you could go to the state and ask for grant money or something to get these things working. I mean, this is horrible news to me. Well, they are uh, working. There are, is grant money that's working on the pipes. But it, to me, if the pipes are old, they still have water in them. So these hydrants are capable or should be capable of getting some water out of it. It might not be enough to put out a fire. But they're, apparently some of them are dry. So there's a couple of valves in there. Some of them, the valves don't work. So the fire hydrants could be fixed. And just because we put in new water, I don't think that's going to fix the fire hydrants. So we're probably have to gonna do, we're, we're going to have to do both. We're going to have to put water new pipes, and we're going to have to fix the fire hydrants. So kind of shocking to me. Well, uh, I mean, how long do you think it'll take to fix all of this? Uh, we, a while? The, uh, this is going to be no time soon. I can sh- I can assure you we're several years away from the pipes all being done, and then we're probably a, a, a distance away from the uh, hydrants being fixed. But the fire chief, he's, he's, he's quite knowledgeable. He said we usually get notice about these fires when they're pretty early, and our truck, I think he said it has something like 450, 500 gallons of water. And he said that can put out most fires. But he, he said the first thing they do when they get to a fire, first they know if there's going to be a hydrant. Next, they look at the fire. And if, if it's something they can put out, they don't, you know, they go ahead and do it. If they're going to need more fire trucks, they get right on the horn and get more trucks over there. So I think he's got things under control and I think okay. we're safe. But it is disconcerting no, to know. As a homeowner, <laughs> that sounds like caveman days. If the fire hydrant doesn't work. That but sounds, it does sound like that. We also, you don't want the insurance companies getting hold of that yeah. information. <laughs> I would think that would be a you know, major problem with the insurance, but I really don't know and nobody's told me yet. So we only have like two minutes left, Doc and Mayor. So what what do you want to share with the Panhandle? Because you've been talking about FEMA and the the Civic Center. And, you know, last time you were on the show, it was breaking news to me that FEMA said they could cover 95% of the the rebuild. Is there is, What else can you share with us? Well, that's great. I'd like to talk briefly about the uh, what we call the wet slips at the City Marina. The FEMA can rebuild that. You can go to the meeting notes just to, that we just finished, and FEMA can completely rebuild it at 95% uh, cost. So that we don't even need to know what it costs. They will pay 95% to rebuild the wet slips. And I've actually been talking to another lady that handles grants, and she's reasonably sure that she can find grants to cover the 5% that FEMA doesn't cover. So as of right now, the way I'm seeing things, we could rebuild that marina, the sweat slips. We could rebuild it 100% without a cost to us. But there's a, a, a portion of our city commission that wants to bring in the St. Joe Company and then take the FEMA money and put it somewhere else in the city and let St. Joe manage, manage and build the marina. But then, then they will essentially uh, lease, it, lease it from us, and they'll, that means they'll, lease the, they'll uh, appreciate the income. And I'm sure that it's capable of generating at least a million dollars a year. So it's a gold asset that we really need to keep. And with 95, perhaps 100 percent payment that we won't have to uh, take care of, seems like a no-brainer to me. To seems go like ahead, a no-brainer to me. Yeah, go ahead and build the wet slips. I've talked to a couple contractors, and they say anytime somebody's going to pay 95 percent of what they're going to do, they jump. You run on with it. that football. That's right. Because um, Dad's giving you an allowance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Doc, it's been a pleasure. We definitely want people to go out on the 15th, and that's at 8 a.m. at the the, um, 
the main Bay County building. Right, correct? the government complex on 11th Street. Okay, well, it's been a pleasure. And, you know, I know you're you're working hard for us, because, but people are contacting me because they're frustrated. And, you know, so I know you got some work to do. Well, thank you. Uh, consider listening to Bernie Thompson. He has some great ideas. Okay, all right. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Veronica Live. And we are here with our next guest. And... Her name is, um, she's an attorney, and her name is M.K. Sweeney, and she's just written this awesome book, and it's called The Magi of Miriam, The Boy Who Saved the Kingdom. Welcome, M.K. Sweeney. Hi. Hi, Veronica. It's so, it's such a pleasure to be on your show, and I understand you have Jennifer on as well. Is that correct? Yes, A fellow yes. Wahoo-wah. <laughs> hi, <guess>. Mandy. <laughs> wahoo Hi, hi. Yeah, we want to talk about our dispute against uh Virginia Tech the other week, but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> move forward. So much to say. Uh, yeah. Well, um, yeah. You... A... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say it's a pleasure to be on your show. I think I mentioned I've been listening to a couple of your your podcasts, and it's making me want to move to Florida. So there you go, because you're in Atlanta, <laughs> yeah. correct? That's right. That's right. We're in. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, excellent. And then um, my my co-host is a UVA grad, University of Virginia, and so are you. So that's what we were joking mm-hmm. about offline because you guys are Wahoos, which I didn't know that till today. So oh, yeah. I've been. So a Wahoo is actually it's a fish that can drink its weight. Did you notice, Jennifer? This is, yeah, this she is what told we me that. To. This yeah. <laughs> And that um, is so still that's, the definition. That's what we're priding ourselves on, apparently, right here. But it's not, we're also the Cavaliers, so we can go with some tradition there as well. well um, well, but yes, my girls don't need school many there too, so I can confirm that's okay. still that's still the <laughs> definition. There, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> um, I, you know, I met your parents at the um, Senator Scott dinner I was at, and they asked me what I did. And they're like, "Oh, my, our daughter just wrote this book," and um, so they they're like, "You'd love to have her as a guest," and so I know you and I chatted about your new book called The Magi of Miriam, mm-hmm. The Boy Who Saved the Kingdom. So so first tell people your background and then we'll get into this book that's it was actually very it's lovely and I want the whole world to read it, especially young teens. So where are you oh, from? Oh, that's really nice remarks. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you just a brief background and you can interrupt me anytime because I kind of get going on a spiel. But I was born in Mons, Belgium. My father, who you met, Veronica had been head laryngologist, the chief ENT for NATO. Um, and my parents are both from Philadelphia, but they spoke some French, and there used to be the Barry draft when doctors were drafted. And so um, he went in, and he was with the Army, and went over and, and served time there in Europe. And, I mean, I think it was kind of like a highlight of their lives. They toured around, bummed around Europe, and um, bought a lot of furniture and had, had me over there. And then when I was pretty young, um, my father, one of his friends, I guess, from residency, convinced him to move to Montgomery, Alabama, um, in large part because Alabama affords a nice lifestyle. You can be close to the beach, you're close to the lake. They co-owned a plane. Um, and so that uh, when I was about two or three, my family moved to Alabama, and I think after Several years, people stopped asking, you know, my mom, who's your daddy? And people kind of just thought that I was born and raised (laughs) in Alabama. (laughs) Um, And then uh, after high school, as you know, we just touched on with Jennifer, I went to University of Virginia. I was a double major in finance and international business out of the McIntyre School, 
which Jennifer, you might have some familiarity with. Um, and then from there, McIntyre is their undergrad business school. Uh, it's a big feeder for investment banking and business and kind of um, consulting and all things business. So after um, graduating from McIntyre, I moved to Manhattan. And I worked with a pension fund right around the corner, I think, Veronica, from your daughter. So mm-hmm. I was on Water Street. Your daughter's on Wall Street. But yeah. I was in the commercial real estate arm mm-hmm, of this pension fund, and we owned, we happened to have picked up this 3.6 million square foot building in downtown Manhattan in like the 80s. And um, just to give you a sense of size, 3.6 million square feet at the time was second in size only to Sears Tower in the country. It's a big, big space in downtown Manhattan. So um, we managed that property and we housed our commercial real estate team for the pension fund out of that building. And, you know, I had this kind of like really unique experience as my first work experience in the city. And uh, I had moved there in August of 2001, of course. 9-11 happened a month later and our building was one of the targets. Um, And I, you know, there was just a lot going on in the city at the time. Um, Because of that, there was kind of a lack because of September 11th, um, when the trade centers went down, there was a lack of outdoor space because the winter garden had been kind of like where people would go and hang out in the city, the outdoor space in the, the trade centers that was demolished. And so there weren't a lot of um, outdoor spaces. So one of my projects when I was working in the city was to do this design competition. It was a global design competition for this acre of property at 55 Water Street that we bid out and landscape architects from around the the world submitted. um, And we got to do that design. And so that was one of my projects. Another was um, there's a Vietnam Veterans Plaza that's down there and some guys I worked with were veterans and we got it together and dedicated that plaza. So all this to say, I got to meet a lot of really interesting people um, and do a lot of pretty cool work when I was pretty young. And one of the other aspects of my job was that I was reviewing a lot of um, real estate documents uh, because we were leasing and we were doing real estate projects. And I don't know if you've taken a look at – some real estate transactions, but they're hundreds of pages. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know what any of them meant. And so I decided that I was going to get a law school to take that knowledge back into business, um, not so much to practice law, but just to, to kind of have a better understanding and grounding. And so I went to law school. I did pretty well in law school. And at the end of law school, big firms will pay you. And so instead of going back into business, I worked with a law firm, an MLA 100 law firm, doing commercial real estate law for a number of years. And so that's what I did until I went in-house um, with a global chemical company. We make a substance called carbon black, which, have you ever heard of it? Probably no. not. A carbon- <laughs> okay. But, but what I so want to know has- is how you, how you started writing this book that is so lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I usually stop right around now and start talking about the book. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah, so the book, it, it's funny because pe- my husband asked, well, what's she going to ask? I'm like, well, I'm sure she's going to ask why I wrote the book. Right. And rather than go into a long, detailed explanation, C.S. Lewis has this great quote. Since it is so likely that children will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. Otherwise, you are making their destiny not brighter but darker. 
And that's kind of the crux as to why I wrote The Magi of Miriam, The Boy Who Saved the Kingdom. Um, about six years ago, I had had a health issue and stepped back from work. And we had three young kids, and I wasn't really finding a lot of literature that really spoke to me, and I wanted them to read. And um, I felt called to write this series, uh, and it is a kind of a, a godly journey, spiritual awakening book that's a fast-paced action and adventure book. Um, I'm curious what you thought about it, because you said you had read it, you, you read it recently. Yeah, and, no, I, I loved um, it. Yeah. I, well, I loved it because it, it kicks off in Eufaula, Alabama, which is, if you've ever been mm-hmm. to Eufaula, it's got all the mansions, and it's so beautiful. But I, I did love that, you know... It, you had some interesting characters, and it, it's the first time I've read a book where, when the person's talking, you the 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 way the book is printed, the it's like an italic when they're talking instead of being put in quotes, you know. And so I like like that um, as well. How the book was written, I, I don't know. It, it was just it's fun, and you have these crazy characters and. Um, the way some of those, I'm trying to think, the the, the one of the creatures that, you know, it's, I, I'm like, I was imagining maybe he had a Scottish accent, these little creep creatures the that, yeah. that were like the, the drooling <laughs> and stuff. So, uh-huh. But how do you write literature for children when you've never written? And this is your first book. And I mean, it's, there's a great story there. I mean, I would love for a child. And as an adult, I was enjoying it as well, you know. So I, yeah, so it's a long process. To get, well, I found it to be a pretty long process to break through to be able to write fiction. So you know, I'd been managing editor of my law review, but I had never written um, long form fiction. And uh, honestly, it just was this very painful process of writing iteration after iteration after iteration. And I can say, like, I think I made just about every mistake that an author can make at some point on, <laughs> on this book. Um, and I, you know, I prayed a lot about it and I would just kind of have people that would come in and they would either help and, um, you know, or ideas would kind of evolve and kind of get me to the next level. I also benefited a lot because I had started writing that book six years ago. Okay. Um, the pandemic happened. Well, and um, Mandy, we're about to take a, a hard break here. Okay real quick but no this is this is the crux of it is how did you come up with this story and and you've written the book under mk sweeney because you said you wanted boys not to to know that it was a woman that wrote the book which i thought was really cute yeah i just it wasn't (laughs) important about this the gender of the writer (laughs) right right so when we come back we'll talk we'll get more into the the magi of miriam the boy who saved the kingdom and it's great for adults and children i love the book so we'll be right back it's time to start your day with Patriot and Air Force veteran Veronica with a shot of conservatism. Call Veronica Live now at 233-9988. Welcome back to Veronica Live, and we're here with um, MK Sweeney. And uh, you, your real name's Mandy, but um, I know that you decided to to use the mk sweeney sort of like the harry potter jk rowlings because you didn't want boys to know a, a woman had written the book so i thought that was kind of funny i didn't ever think about that until you you mentioned that to me 
Yeah, yeah, that's correct, Veronica. I actually had had this other um, name at some point, Benny Bigelow, but my husband had mentioned that it sounded too much like a porn star. So we <laughs> went with and I agree with him. <laughs> yeah, it was a wise call for a children's book. Um, but that you're right. I, I wanted the story to be kind of this fast paced adventure, spiritual awakening for, um, frankly, tweens and adults. And I didn't want to have my gender hold anybody back from picking it up. Yeah. I'm sad. We still have to think about that, but no, I, I totally get it. Um, and then, so I wanted you to talk about the good versus evil and, you know, God does play a part of it, you know, in this book that you've written. Yeah, and I think that most adults kind of um, tend to be drawn to the, the theological layers of, of the Magi of Miriam, um, and that gets more picked up with the, there's two protagonists. So there's the 12-year-old boy who you mentioned is growing mm-hmm. up in New Fall, Alabama, and then there's his cousin, who's the 14-year-old girl, who Ionia, who is growing up in the land of Miriam, and right, they come together. But Ionia, she has the challenge she's in a, a she's a very strong character she's 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 a strong person um she is just in a bad situation and so she is challenged with this real faith struggle mainly be, it's a situational issue but i think that most adults if we're really honest with ourselves at some point have also kind of dealt with some faith struggle and if we listen to our conscience we probably know what the right answer is but, um, you know, we, we get to choose, and that's sort of like free choice. God gave us free choice. And so that is a pretty uh, large part. It's a component of, of this particular novel. Um, and you picked up on it as an adult. I think probably kids would, too. Um, adults tend to focus more on that than, than the kids do. <laughs> but, yes, <laughs> it is definitely an element. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, I was, I'm trying to find I, – because I, one of the pages was – um, you know, the, the kid has like a nanny kind of woman that's cooks for them. And the, just the descriptions in the book of the characters, I, I was just laughing at like the, the soup. Cause apparently this woman can't cook and it looks like there's tadpoles in the soup and it's green. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it actually yeah, made right. me laugh because, you know, sometimes not everything goes well in the kitchen and these kids are, you know, trying to like get through this meal that's so horrific, but it, you know, you also, that's right. You tug at the heartstrings because, you know, in the beginning, the, the mother um, has passed. And, you know, as a mother, I, I that one was hard for me to read. I was like, as a mother, you know, you always want to be there for your child. So so to me, that was kind of an adult moment. I mean, you wrote it very nice and at a kid level, but it was beautiful, I have to say. And I had, you know, some tears reading that because... Yeah, you know. yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a real mix of emotions. So the book is it has a lot of humor. The book yeah, um, it does. intentionally, I like never to take myself too seriously. And frankly, I really appreciate um, someone with a sense of humor. So the book has a bunch of funny parts and it really comes out in the audible. But um, there is a loss apparent and that is um, a component of the book that a lot of people have and there again, mainly adults have kind of uh, mentioned is that one of their favorite aspects of the of the book. And some kids, some kids have lost a parent. And it really is um, the mother character in this book 
it, it sets the stage because Jesse, the protagonist, the male protagonist, is going through a lot of insecurities. Yeah. He's already a tween, so he has his own insecurities. Which is horrible. But he has these insecurities, <laughs> right, because his mom didn't tell him all of this stuff about her life and about, you know, his this this other world and his, his being. And he feels very um, isolated because of that. And he feels, you know, what, didn't she trust me and things like that. And so that kind of sets through a personal conflict that he has to break through. So as, as he's fighting like literal and figurative dragons in this book to kind of evolve and learn and build his confidence and triumph ultimately in the light of God. So that's kind of like he's, he's, he's breaking down and building back up. Um, and the loss of parent is definitely, um, it, was, it was an easy road to describe like some insecurities that a kid might develop. Yeah. No. Yeah. I get it. Well, having children that have lost a parent, um, you did a great job of of describing that. And it is a struggle. I mean, we all struggle with all kinds of things. That's sort of the battle that we lead throughout life. So I think I think you were talking about how, you know, the adults, you know, um, recognize more of the theology and the kids just more of the story, but it seems like a book that a kid would read over and over as they get older and older. And, you know, they're, they're the layers that they see would evolve. I would assume, you know, as they get older. Yeah. I, I, so I agree. And it was really, I am by no means comparing myself to Shakespeare, but Shakespeare used to to write with those different layers. Mm -hmm. And so when I was going through with this book, um, you know, there's, there's layers that talk to where people are in their kind of development pattern. And I didn't want to dumb it down for kids because frankly, I think kids that are nine, 10, 11 have pretty sophisticated thoughts and vernacular. And then, but the same story and emotions can speak to them. And then as you develop into adulthood, you know, different angles kind of like speak more to different things that you're going through with respect to the loss of parents specifically. When I had written this book, I was not sure if I was going to be around to read it to my kids. Mm. And well, so well, I think that's I, why it that's hit a, me, Mandy, because when yeah. I was first diagnosed with breast cancer six years ago, that was the first thing was, oh, my gosh, I, am I going to be here for my for my children? Am I ever going to be a grandmother? So that's why those chapters were actually hard. You know that it was written very light, mm. I have to say. But since I've had this struggle and yeah. Jennifer, you've had a struggle with loss of your um, husband, like those things hit us as adults, even though it's it's a fun story and the, the, you know, the dragons are, you know, cool. And these slobbery characters that I, you know, envisioning Mm -hmm. with the Scottish accent, (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's a cute story. It's really fun, but there are some layers that um, that's why an adult would enjoy this book. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the first opening letter, I don't know if you remember but that basically conveyed to um, the protagonist in the book, but also, you know, it would be the reader, um, what I as a parent would want any of my children to understand, which is, I, you know, I love you for who you are. You are everything you need to be. And, you know, let's, you, you have everything that you need for life in, in you. So that was sort of like the underlying um, crux of, of, of the emotion that I wanted to convey to you. You conveyed uh, it. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> no, but tell us the process of um, how you write a book like this. You know, we've got like four minutes left and 
I mean, the story's very full, I will say, because it's real yeah, life, yet it's um, fantasy as well. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Right. Are you busting out the, uh, you know, the note cards and you've got them all over your dining <laughs> room table? Or, like, how does this process um, work? I was a math yeah, major, yeah, so people... writing is so foreign to me. <laughs> Right, right. Um, well, I'm sure that you have a lot of creative angles in you, in, including the, the math is that technical aspect, the analytical is like really good for writing stories, by the way. Um, but my, because my legal training, I am, I tend to be quite analytical. So it was very easy for me to write the first draft. And it was like, nobody died when they weren't supposed to, everything kind of linked, but there was no emotion. I mean, it just really lacked emotion. And to write fiction, um, you have to speak to the senses. And it was sort of like this kind of painful evolutionary process in my writing where you find what writers call your voice. Um, I did not do this quickly. I mean, it took time and iteration and iteration. And like I said, I had a lot of help. So at one point, Dick Amber, who was the managing editor of the Washington Times, helped me edit this wow. book. Um, and then Charles Scribner came in, who had been, of course, CEO for Scribner's. Um, you know, that was his family, and he read through and, and provided a great endorsement. I had a brother-in-law who was a creative writing professor at Amherst. I had so many people read this book at different points and kind of highlight, well, you know, what do you think about this? Um, one of whom was my aunt who had worked with Haverford in the English department, and she read, and she was like, man, you don't take this in a long way, but it reads like a textbook. She was like, okay, not good. <laughs> you know, back to the drawing board. And it really was this kind of breaking down to figure out how to speak to people. People want to be able to identify with the characters and the emotion, and especially young readers need to be able to do that. And they need action as well to kind of drive the Well, there's story. definitely and, action, uh, Mandy. So we've got a minute left, and I just want to yep. round it up. I think the most exciting thing that I was happy about the ending is that this this does not end. You know, there's there's going to be another story, and, <laughs> and you lay the ground. I'll just say you lay the groundwork for that. So I was so excited because I, I, I think the world needs you writing these books because um, you hit us and then... <laughs> in the heart and then the story, you know, and the good and the bad and, and children don't have that. So tell us your uh, final thoughts here in 30 seconds. Yeah, Veronica, um, really quick, let me just thank you so much for having me on your show. This has been yeah. an absolute delight. As far as the book and plugging the book, um, the thought too is, so there's just not a lot of Christian middle grade fantasy. There's a, The middle grade market is flooded, but there's not a lot of clean, you know, middle grade fantasy that has godly oriented <laughs> themes and that's what i wanted to give and let me just also say the audible for this book i do not read the audible someone with a much better voice than i do does <laughs> i actually he's got like johnny Depp voice he can change Excellent. His, his voice and he's got all these well, accents i want to um, i want to yeah. thank you for joining us and i'll share it on facebook but it's on amazon the magi of miriam the boy who saved the kingdom and we thank mk sweeney for joining us and we'll be right back with ambassador grinnell thanks mandy 
Join Panhandle's favorite Air Force veteran, Veronica, as she fights for conservative values in America. Call Veronica live now at 233-9988. Welcome back to Veronica Live, and we are here. I'm so excited to have him back. Uh, We are joined by Ambassador Richard Grinnell. He was the director of the National Intelligence Agency. You've been ambassador to Germany. You've been a special envoy for Serbia and Kosovo for peace negotiations. You worked um, for the U.S. State Department as a spokesperson to the U.N. You worked for President Trump, President Bush. Welcome back, Ambassador. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Well, the to me, the hottest story on the planet, and you are a world diplomat, is what's going on in Israel. And the, the thing that keeps popping into my head is how did we miss this, that Hamas was going to come over and kill all of these people when we're supposed to have top-tier intel agencies, and I know Israel as well. So I wanted to start there, Ambassador. Well, it's such a great question. I think my first uh, uh, question is for you on who's we. <laughs> because um, <laughs> when you say we, we didn't get it. Look, there. I saw Morning Joe, a clip of Morning Joe yesterday, mm-hmm. and he was just going on this tirade that said, um, you know, this is so outrageous, this this reporting that we have from the New York Times and others that that Israel has known about this attack for a year. And, and you know, one of the things that I've always railed against is people who bloviate on television without really having the facts. And Joe is, uh, is one of the captains of that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to suggest somehow that Israel knew for a year but never – once utter a criticism of the Biden administration while saying Israel knew, but he doesn't confront whether the U.S. knew. Let me let me tell you, our intelligence is the best in the world. If Israel knew for a year, there's no possible way that the United States didn't know for longer than a year. And, and this is the criticism that I have of even the Republican chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner. Here we work really hard to have Republicans take over the House, and we get to chair the committees, important committees like the Intelligence Committee. And instead of Mike Turner holding uh, Avril Haines and the intelligence agencies to account to say, what did we know about Afghanistan? What did we know about this war in Israel? We, We need aggressive oversight chairmen who are able to dig deep and, and ask the questions. Now, without, without getting too detailed, let me just quickly say, I don't believe we missed it. Okay, great. Uh, we have incredible intelligence, and there's a difference. Your audience needs to understand there's a difference between raw intelligence, which we get little pieces of, and then there's a team of people who look at the raw intelligence, and they write analytical pieces. They're called analysts. So sometimes they're CIA analysts, sometimes they're uh, just uh, intelligence analysts from different agencies. But the analysts are the ones who are in charge of writing the thought pieces and telling us what what does it mean? What do all the little pieces of intelligence mean? That is where we go wrong in the intelligence community because we have analysts who are activists and too political. So they – 
So they either overread the intelligence, they underread the intelligence, or they play partisan politics. And so it's really important that we clean up the analysts who are writing these things. Imagine that your local uh, newspaper having an entire paper of opinion pieces, but nobody signs the opinion pieces. So you have no idea if this is like a buffoon who's just bloviating or an actual expert. And that's what we have in the analytical pieces. And lastly, let me just finish with this. There's a huge difference when you read whether or not the uh, intel agencies are putting something out. There is a huge difference between what they call an IC-wide analytical piece, IC meaning the intelligence community-wide, all 16 intelligence agencies signing off on that analytical piece, believing that it's true. That's one thing. An IC-wide piece is much different than just a one analyst, unknown analyst, uh, anonymous analyst, that we have no idea if they're political. And remember, the Israel team within the U.S. government intel agencies told us unequivocally that if you moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, there'd be World War III. Not only were they wrong, but the opposite happened, Veronica, the actual opposite. We actually had Arab-Israeli peace. Yeah. So there needs to be consequences for these analysts who completely get it wrong consistently. Well, and it uh, probably comes back to we need to clean out the White House in 2024. Do you feel, I just feel like President Biden and Secretary Blinken are trying to handcuff the Israel to handle Hamas because, they, you know, they just don't want to deal with it with an election cycle. Look, my, my attitude is, is that when there's a terrorist attack of this epic proportion, you know, Hamas literally beheading people, raping people, killing people. I don't know. I've forced myself to look at some of these videos. I'm not sure if you have, but, you know, the, 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 the descriptions can gross people out yeah. and you can turn away. But it's important for public policy officials and former officials and people with voices to look at these videos to understand what you're dealing with. There are videos of individuals who are half dead and then uh, a Hamas person comes in with a hoe and tries to chop off the head while the person is half alive. There's broomsticks being shoved into people's eyes while they're half alive. This is, this is satanic. Mm -hmm. This is, I don't know how a human being can do this to something that to somebody else. It is, it is literally satanic. And I want to be clear-eyed about this. Joe Biden, the White House, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Council, Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, should in no way be telling Israel how to protect themselves and how to respond to a horrific terrorist attack. We can try to make some suggestions, but we should not dictate how, how they do it. Do you think that we would have allowed anyone to tell us in America, how to respond to 9-11? Hell no. Absolutely not. Well, um, I also wanted to ask you, because um, I know you were in New York. I want to talk about the positive here in a moment. But uh, I was just in New York over Thanksgiving with my my, my family. Um, and um, I kept bumping into Hamas protests, you know, and they were, they were out there um, Thursday at the Macy's Day Parade, Friday in Soho, Saturday uh, near the flagship of Nordstrom. Um, Sunday took over the Brooklyn Bridge and 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 the, these narratives that, you know, Israel killed their, these people themselves. And this isn't true. 
as a world diplomat, I want everybody to watch those videos that you were talking about, Ambassador. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm just over these these little millennials, mostly, or and liberals saying it's not real. This was terrorism yeah, I, at barbarism. I think you just hit it on the head there, uh, the, the difference here. I, I, I try to be thoughtful. I try to deal in facts yeah. only. I love listening to uh, different points of view to try to figure out what's going on. I would highly recommend, actually, very long, but I tweeted out today um, because I listened to it this morning in, in anticipation of our talk. There's a very good discussion that Glenn Greenwell has. And as you know, Glenn is um, really somebody who I don't always agree with, but he's emerged as a thoughtful uh, person who, who wants to hear the other side. And, and so you should listen to this whole long piece. Again, it's, a, it's almost an hour, but it's a back and forth on exactly what you're kind of talking about. I think that what we have and what you nailed is that we have young people, millennials, left-wing political people who don't deal in facts, and they're just rushing to the politics of this. We all know that, that within a war situation, innocent people, unfortunately and sadly, get killed. Nobody wants that to happen. I know Israel doesn't want that to happen. The West doesn't want that to happen. The Europeans don't want that to happen. But you've got to look and dig down to say, why is this happening? And when Hamas takes individuals and puts them at a hospital and then shoots, uh, you know, missiles from that hospital, uh, the, the consequences of fall on that, those individuals who say, uh, you know, I'm somehow going to just fall in and, and do this. Uh, I'm going to follow Hamas. Remember that, the Palestinian people have not had an election since 2005. Mahmoud Abbas, who is the Palestinian authority leader, uh, was elected to a five-year term in 2005. He's now in his 18th year of his five-year term. <laughs> this is unacceptable. Yeah. And, and we, have to, we have to deal with reality. We just saw Israel go through like five elections in 18 months. Uh, I mean, these people are are voicing their concerns and changing their government and radically petitioning their government constantly when they don't like it. And, and so we don't have that on the other side. And, and, you know, I get it when people say, well, what are you supposed to do? Uh, you know, the Palestinian people feel trapped. They're not being represented by Hamas. And I think my response is when you feel trapped and you're not being represented, you're going to have to do something different. Well, well I'm, I, Go ahead, Jennifer. I just had a question. Um, it seems like a lot of times we talk about how the Palestinians are trapped and all of that, but it seems like um, a lot of times it seems like a, a majority of them are supportive of what's gone on and supportive of Hamas. I, um, what are your thoughts on that and how, how can that change? Yeah, and, and I hear your frustration, and I share it. I, I think it's exactly the case is that we see uh, polling and public opinion surveys saying that um, 80%, 75% of Palestinians support Hamas. And look, that's unacceptable. And, and that's where I was going with this idea of having elections. You know, many in the West say, well, you, you, you shouldn't have an election because you really don't know what's coming next. 
and I say, did you see the videos from Hamas, the elected government in Gaza? Right. Pretty horrific. I'm not sure that we can get worse than an ISIS style. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but the point is, I understand these are very difficult issues. This is not something that, that's easy. And so the Palestinian people uh, really do have a choice. And, and I don't buy into this idea that, that many in the left in America say, well, they don't have a choice. They're trapped. They may be trapped, but they do have choices. And these are very difficult. Again, I don't want to be uh, just dismissive of how difficult it is to stand up to your government and to, to, to have change, uh, and it's dangerous. And we see that with the people in Iran. Um, but uh, we've gone through it. Other countries have gone through it. And if this is, accept, if it, if, if this is unacceptable to you, if you're living in squalor with no prospects for jobs, but your leaders are billionaires living in a whole another country, yeah. Yeah. you're going to have to find your voice. And oh, by the way, Israel's providing your water and a lot of your food and all that so, kind of stuff. So we have like 30 it. seconds till the break, Ambassador. But I, I don't know how Americans can't have clarity when, when we're talking about babies that have been beheaded. I, I, I have complete clarity on this. These are terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the pushback from the left is, oh, that story that a whole bunch of babies were beheaded is wrong. And my attitude is like, just look at the videos. You know, you know, we can we can quibble over how many babies were beheaded, but we do know the horrific nature of what they did. And no one should be trying to give aid and comfort or context to Hamas. Well, we are here with Ambassador Grinnell, a world diplomat. When we come back, we've got to ask him about Trump because you're like the number one Trumper out there in Cali. We'll be right back, sir. Veronica Live on News Talk 101. Welcome back to Veronica Live. And we are here with our world diplomat, Ambassador Richard Grinnell out from California. And um, I know you're like the number one Trumper in the world, uh, Ambassador. (laughs) You truly are. You're fun to follow. And everybody does need to follow you on Twitter and Facebook because you shared like this Trump commercial that was out. And I watched it. I forgot. And I was like so moved and so tell me why it needs to be Trump in 2024. I mean, I feel like our world is falling apart. Uh, nobody respects us. You know, Iran's doing whatever the hell they want. Hamas, nothing's under control. So so tell me as a world diplomat why 2024 needs to be Trump and we've got to take the White House back. Look, I, I've uh, worked uh, for Republican uh, presidential candidates and, and on campaigns six times. Uh, I understand the the game, and I've been very frustrated over my career waiting for somebody who can run against Washington, D.C. Uh, if you look at what's happening in Washington, D.C., it's getting bigger and stronger and more powerful and more in debt every single year. This is the Hunger Games. This is the capital, mm-hmm. and they're eating us alive, and, and we have to stop assuming that reporters who live in Washington, D.C., who go to church in Washington, D.C., whose kids go to school in Washington, D.C., who are all intertwined with lobbyists and politicians, they're never going to advocate for a smaller budget in Washington. They're never going to advocate for Washington, D.C. to be less powerful. They now have sports teams 
They cheer for their sports teams. This is like a, a city that is untouchable because it has federal uh, bureaucrats that never get fired. It's growing and growing. You look at our, our $33 trillion national debt. It all makes sense to me that that system doesn't want an outsider. They just don't want someone coming in and saying, oh, gosh, we've made technology advancements. Maybe we should cut programs and cut bureaucracy. And they, they say, oh, you're undermining democracy and, and you're attacking uh, unions and you don't like people. And they come up with like crazy ideas. <laughs> Go watch the Hunger Games. This is exactly what is happening to us. The capital is eating us alive. There is one man that they hate, that they're trying to crush, that they lie about, that they're using Department of Justice to go after. And this is what I'll finish. Uh, I'll finish by saying this. It's so evident to me that if the left really thought that they had Donald Trump on something, that they would have had one or two charges immediately after he left office. They waited two and a half years and then did 91 charges against him. They, they are now telling the world just how easy it is to manipulate the Department of Justice. Trump is standing in the way. If this system continues, conservatives will be next. Christians will be next. Uh, people who don't vote for the left will be next. Uh, we have first and second generation Americans who see this very clearly. First and second generation very Americans true. are pro-Trump and pro-America well, we have because a, they waited in line and they know what it's like. I know you only have a minute left, Ambassador, but you were just awarded an Albanian award and you've also received a Serbian Kosovo award. Just talk about that because you are the world diplomat and you work so hard in that region. Well, first of all, I have to give total credit to President Trump who said go out and try to do something different and, and bring jobs and economic development rather than political talk, and it, it really worked. We, we've had uh, great success in the Balkans with all of the, the people in the Balkans. However, under Joe Biden, uh, NATO forces are being increased. Violence is back. Uh, it literally has just gone the way of Ukraine, the Middle East, Taiwan, Afghanistan, Yemen. I mean, you can just add every country. There's not a single country in this world that's doing better under Biden than uh, than under Trump. We need Donald Trump back, and I hope that people will, will go and help him raise your voice, give money, get out and vote, and make sure that we take back America. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on, Ambassador Grinnell, and I'll be calling again because you are that world diplomat. And, um, you know, thanks, my friend. Merry Monica. Christmas. So kind all the time. Merry okay. Christmas to you. Okay. Well, um, he had to jump off, but we have two minutes for you and I to talk here. What an interview. Yeah, he's great. I always enjoy listening to his interviews. Well, and, you know, that's my frustration, just walking around New York, seeing all of those posters of the Israelis and standing in front of them. And, you know, the first Israelis that were released I was in New York, and there was little hearts that said home, you know, oh they, home alive. And, oh, my gosh, my heart was just, I cried in front of these posters, you know. And, there, and people had ripped these posters down around the, New York, and there well, was blue saw, ribbons around the trees as well trying to, let's bring the hostages home. Well, as you saw in that viral video, though, some New Yorkers were not going to take the uh, posters being ripped down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't mess with New Yorkers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, um, I mean, he definitely has clarity as a world diplomat, but he he just received this huge, if you go to his Instagram, 
Richard Grinnell, you'll see this award that he received because he fought in that region for peace and propelling it to the next level. I, I don't know. 2024 is just so important. If we don't take back the White House, how can it get any better, Jennifer? I, well, the, the Lord has a plan, Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're my Catholic well, Christian woman like I, I am. But this plan, this is rough. I mean, I have, I have some people that are saying it's the end of time. Yeah, well, it could be. But uh, if Trump gets elected, I hope he puts um, Ambassador Grinnell into the like um, Secretary of State would be yeah, excellent. I mean, something like that. Until he needs to clean house in there. Somebody's well, got and to. And what did he say? Breaking news. It's the analyst. It's yeah. at the analyst level because they're political, ladies and gentlemen. But um, we're going to take a, a hard break. And we come back. It's Jennifer and I. We're going to talk politics. Oh, dear. And what a show we've had already today. We'll be right back. Patriot Veronica loves God, guns, America, and talking to you. Call Veronica live now at 233-9988. Welcome back to Veronica Live. And I'm in here with my wingman, Jennifer, today. It's your first time. You're doing fine. Thank you, know, you very it's, much. It's always a little intimidating, but we've had quite a show. So now it's uh, you and me. I just texted Ambassador Grinnell and I said, I said, we just voted in here that you are our next Secretary of State under Trump. So he sent me the little American flag and the sunglass mm. emoji. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, he's a world diplomat. And he understands. And I'm sorry what Hamas did. I mean, I have not been brave enough to watch the video. I've talked about it in here, but I've read all of the accounts and they make you puke what they did. I'm sorry. These were these were not combatants that they attacked. Yeah. I, I mean, I've watched a lot of it. I felt compelled to do so. Um, it should be required re- review or viewing for for the liberals Every that American, don't get it, to be and, honest. And the people that were protesting with their Starbucks cups. So I'm just over it. You know, it's Senator Scott has ruined me because I am I've been saying it now. I'm gonna be more vocal. I'm done with these radicals, and I know all of these young people that keep posting about all this Hamas stuff that, you know, it's Israel's fault. And then there was the one snippet this week, the girl was like, Israel killed all those people. No, they didn't terrorists that were barbaric you heard him they put broomsticks through people's eyes that were still alive you know they were cutting off people's body parts they did all kinds of horrific stuff right so i'm over it and if you're a liberal i'm gonna send you the video once i find it i was trying (laughs) to find it yesterday because i'm so over it because you're like it's on ben shapiro yeah so i pulled up ben shapiro but my problem is when there's other political things happening people start calling and texting me and you know, because uh, I was having Mayor Rowan on. So all week long, people reached out to me on that interview. And then, of course, sadly, we had the 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 chairman of the Republican Party of Florida. So we had the vice chair on today, Evan Power, who's number two in the Florida chain. But it came out Thursday when Governor DeSantis and Newsom was debating that the chairman and his wife who founded Mother Moms for Liberty and, and the wife that was appointed by Governor DeSantis to be to fight Disney on that Reedy Creek board because Disney has had a free ride in taxes and everything. Mm-hmm. And DeSantis is holding them accountable now that if you're not going to play fair with me, I'm going to make you pay money. 
to our state, but it came out that the husband allegedly raped a woman that all he, his wife, and this woman have had consensual menage a trois. It's horrible. And I think it's true because, you know, people have been telling me um, off the record that it's, it's real. And I'm so sad. I was hoping it wasn't going to be true. But yesterday, when the governor comes out and says you need to resign, I think yeah, I have it a was feeling true. He has Jennifer. a feeling that it's true. So, so my heart breaks. My heart breaks. Yeah. Because they have three young daughters. And and these were people at the top. I'm, I'm going to pray for them. You know, Sunday, I'll see you in mass. I'll be praying <laughs> for them. Lighting a candle. There's so many levels of prayer that need to happen. Well, the whole world needs prayer at every yeah. single level. <laughs> At every single level. Yeah, I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. It's scary. It is. Well, because I think, you know, as my Protestant friends say, the rapture's coming. And I'm like, please make sure I'm on the boat <laughs> with Jesus. It's the sheep and the goats. He's going to separate yes. them. Which one am I again? <laughs> you, you wanna, I think you want to be a sheep. Just yeah. like the lamb. Joking, just like the joking. Lamb. I know. Yeah. Catholics read the Bible too. <laughs> we do. We actually do. Um. But yeah, so it's just, it's been such a crazy week. And so, so politics, they always say it's, you know, it's the local level that's where it's most important. It is very important. But that was my frustration is that, you know, we've got all these commissioners and they, uh, they've been all over Facebook that, you know, they're being persecuted. And, and let me tell you how many people reached out to me regarding the last commission mo- meeting that this whole group needs some training on roles, responsibility, and respect. And as a military, you know, retired officer, this would never fly under anybody or working for me. I would hold you accountable. And you got to respect those that you work for. And yeah, it's hard because you can't talk to each other offline. You can only talk to each other during the commission meeting. But this city has gone to hell and back. And your number one job is taking care of the citizens of Panama City. And Bay County, because we want a beautiful place to live. We still don't have the frickin' Civic Center. The only reason the Marine is open is because Doc, before he was mayor, took it to task. And Mayor Brunicki felt pressure and opened it. Mm. So I'm just tired of this. This is this impacts all of us because the summer will be here next year. And you've got to, Pan- Panama Floridians need a place to put their boats in. They don't have a boat dock in their backyard. Yeah, I mean, I've only lived here for three years. It was after the hurricane. And so I understand there's a lot of stuff that has to be rebuilt and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I don't know. It seems like kind of a hot mess, this place, in terms of, you know, the mall sitting there empty. Well, the that's roads been empty are terrible. Forever. And now, it, you know, I'm hearing that um, these we're not following rules in these well, wh- meetings. Why? This is not the first city manager that has we've had to fill. So why are we making up the rules yeah, as we I go? Don't and why that. didn't we do a nationwide hunt? You definitely said they wanted city experience. This is a $350 million budget, which probably by next year will be a $500 million budget when you roll in what needs to be done. So I I care. If you're a voter, I know they care because people have been reaching out to me nonstop lately. Right. And, and that's how you know that things are not right as, you know, and because it's not election time. Normally the whole world reaches out. Veronica, who do we vote for? We know you've vetted everybody and looked through and every election cycle i give people my list right and i have vetted them but i I can't tell you how frustrated people are and especially that last last commission meeting these are adult people that are in business that should know better so i'm just i'm done i'm tired i I can't even tell you all the complaints and people want you all to go get training so go get some training (laughs) 
and do it right. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Am I frustrated? <laughs> I can't tell at all. <laughs> and then, and then you people drinking Starbucks at a Hamas, you know, well, pro Hamas event, the Christmas tree lighting. Oh, that was the other one. I don't really understand. In that. New York, it, Rockefeller. Jews don't celebrate Christmas. Who's there? That, I mean, come on. The only Jew that has to do with Christmas died it's on Jesus. a cross 20 or 200 or 2000. I can't talk 2000 years ago. Come on. Come oh on, my people. gosh. Right. I think if you went into that crowd too and just ask them, what are you protesting? What's going on? Like, what is this about? They couldn't even tell you. No, no. Cause most of these people aren't even educated. And you sent me that story too about uh, it was the climate changers. Oh, and the opera house. I mean, Manhattan's busy enough. These people do not need to no. be there. So you're you've paid money because you know I saw Moulin Rouge, which was freaking amazing. When every singer can sing, they were dancing. You know, um, and so these people now have paid for an opera. And I've been to Pavarotti, mm-hmm. <laughs> so sometimes opera can be a little painful. And they wait till the second act because there's like a climate um, change event now happening somewhere, I think in New York, and decided to protest and got up and messed up the show for 22 minutes. They had to call the police. Who was letting these people in? Well, I think they bought tickets and then they pretended that they were seeing the show. But your article that you sent me was hysterical because the people had had it. Well, I think that's what it's going to take with a lot of this stuff. People have to say, I have had it enough. I love those videos where the climate change activists are, you know, sitting in the road. People are trying to get to work. People And these people get out of their They're cars like, and start, you know, I, they don't start cracking heads. But, you know, that well, could be because <laughs> the average the average Americans living paycheck, yes. paycheck to paycheck. Cause we saw the nurse video that went viral. She's got a great job. Her husband has a great job. They're living in a little ranch house, but they barely have any money yeah. after they pay everything. And you know, electricity's doubled. So yeah, yeah, Johnny who's living in his parents' basement does not need to be gluing himself to the Probably still has daddy's credit card. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody's trying to get to work, getting their kids to practice, getting their kids to school, whatever. Yeah. Well, it was funny because they, somebody yelled like, shut up, you know, because yeah. it ruined their show. And if you are a New York- Yorker, it is a hustle and bustle mm-hmm. kind of existence up there. And um, yeah, it, it, it just was really too much. So here I was in New York City. It's breathtaking because everything is Christmasified everywhere. Is that a and, word? You just yeah, made up a yeah. word. Did I? <laughs> and so it, you really get in the spirit. So I yeah. came home and I have a new tree. I got mega discounted last year. And now it's out of the box. It's only out of the box. That's it. But normally it doesn't get out of the I box till like the week before I was going to ask you if you decorated yet. No. No, because I'm missing the ribbon that goes around. But um, yeah, so that was... How many things do these people have to ruin? And so after Moulin Rouge, we went to a sports bar to watch um, football. And so I ended up talking to a New Yorker that had been in the Wall Street world with his wife and um, was a liberal. And so I loved to ask, you know, how's it going? He loved Governor Hochul. Um, He thought she was the best, but he didn't like the mayor. Oh, Eric Adams. He did not mm-hmm. like Mayor Eric Adams. Mm. So well, there's, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't that funny? So when we come back from the break, I'm here with my my wingman today, Jennifer. And uh, I, yeah, I want to tell you what he said about the mayor. Mm. You know, I'm curious to hear. 
yeah, the mayor's a disaster too. Everybody's a disaster. So we'll be right back on Veronica Live. It's time to start your day with Patriot and Air Force veteran Veronica with a shot of conservatism. Call Veronica live now at 233-9988. Welcome back to Veronica Live. And, and I was talking how I met this man that definitely was a liberal in New York City, and he did not like Mayor Eric Adams because I know when Eric Adams was chosen, I was so excited because he came from the police chief. You know, he's mm. the police chief, so I was like, oh, my gosh, he gets it. You know, and what has Eric Adams done? He's just cut the budget. They're going to, because he's got to fund these illegals, you know, in his sanctuary city. He doesn't want any anymore. And now he's under the crosshairs from that woman that's like 25 or whatever working for him. They, they've taken oh, his cell phone. Yes. So so I was like, so I told him, I was like, he's in the crosshairs now. And, and you know, he's like, he's not a good guy. No, he's and not. And I'm like, he's on your team, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you get what you, well, I guess he wasn't elected, but you get what you uh, vote for, I guess. Well, it's just, where, where are they going to go? Who are they going to put in? I know. You know? So um, just sheer insanity but i mean i felt safe when i was running around i did take the subway once because when the whole world's on the subway you feel okay yeah you know and so my kids were harassing me that i was only going to do ubers but no i long as it's during peak time yeah you're fine on the subway i also i mean i think there's been a lot of um police that have retired or left the force or you know obviously because of all the defunding and or treatment and all that kind of stuff. So that is not helpful in a big old city like New York City. No, no. You would think that Eric Adams would kind of be able to, you know, I don't know, speak to that. And well, but they've barely arrested anybody when it comes to these well, yeah, that's protests. True too. They're not even arresting yeah. or anyone. the shoplifting or the you know all of it. Yeah. It just well, has to get bad enough, I guess, for the well, next. Well, it's got it's getting bad though because yeah. th- that one no, I article just mean for people to vote in different leadership. Well, they need to start paying attention because how many friends do you have that I have? They don't ever want to talk politics. I cannot hear about it. They don't want to know anything about it. But this that story that's in our afterburner about shoplifting in Seattle, the Macy's employees like went on strike because guess what? They're shoplifting in the store in Macy's. And I've been to the big flagship in Seattle when my son lived out there. And there was homeless walking all around, using the bathroom. It was scary. And so this article, um, the, all the employees in Seattle, like, they've had enough now. And the one lady's like, you know, I make $21 an, an hour. It's not worth right. this. You know, and then it says here, Macy's and others can be forgiven for wondering if calling the cops is pointless. Theft up to $750 is a mere misdemeanor in the state, and many shoplifting cases are never prosecuted. Where crime is tolerated, it proliferates. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, there's no wonder that crime is everywhere. No one is getting. Well, and I just saw, saw it, you know, went up to Destin before I went to New York because. New York is cold. <laughs> you got to have a warm coat. So we went to find my husband a coat. Well, I went into the IZOD store 
And so it was me, two ladies, and then there was three gentlemen that were in there. And um, they were all apparently Hispanic. And the one had a bunch of shopping bags that were overflowing. And the worker in the store said to the the one with the overflowing bags, three times she asked him, are you going to pay for those things you just put in your bag? Mm. Three times. And then he said in Spanish, um, I don't speak English. You know, I'm fluent in Spanish, but I'm like, I'm not getting involved. Mm-hmm. And then he ran out of the store with the other guys and the lady went out. So I, the, it was so uncomfortable because here you are in a small little store. Those outlets are small. I've never had that happen right. up there in the outlets, you know. And, um, you know, I like to pack. I wasn't packing because my bodyguard was with me, but he wasn't in the store with me. And I don't know who these people are. You know what I'm saying? If, are they going right. to pull out a weapon if this woman's engaged him? You know, I think she followed them out of the store because she wanted to see what vehicle to inform security. But right. it was, I felt horrible. It was so uncomfortable. And I'm in the middle of it. I'm fluent in Spanish, but I'm not getting fluent in your shoplifting. Right. Because well, you I don't want to get killed nowadays. over $100. Exactly. So it, that's pretty brazen. Everybody's packing around here. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, maybe they're not, not- going to pull it out for a shoplifting incident. But, well, you know. I mean, so that that's here in our own backyard. Yeah. That's so it's sad. Why? It's so unnecessary. Just why do you have to steal things? Go get a decent or honest job make an honest living well if somebody's suffering i I would have bought you shirts to wear to work you know what i'm saying but it was definitely the bags are so he's probably done it in numerous stores there until somebody noticed i think he's you know not making an honest living but wouldn't you have felt uncomfortable i mean i felt uncomfortable now this woman's engaging him you know, she yeah. should have called probably security and not engaged him and just said, was hey. Was it a worker or was yes, it a, okay. It was a worker, but, okay. but still. Well, I mean. It, three it, times. Yeah. Well, up in New York and some of these cities, they're told not to even engage the people. Well, well like, you'll, you'll, you'll get fired. Well, yeah. I was just worried because now someone's engaged in a store and there was three of them. Is some is one of them packing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and right. now they're mad and you're just the innocent bystander right. now in, in this little Store. You need to get out of the coat section and go <laughs> go find your bodyguard. Well, I left immediately. Yeah. And I then it ruined the rest of the the couple other stores I wanted to go into. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fun anymore. No. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they just ruined your day, didn't they? Well, it's been everywhere. So that <laughs> happened in Destin. You know, New York, all the protesters. I mean, granted, I wasn't getting in the middle of, of all of that, but you want to get away from harm's way you know yeah of course that's understandable well and i know you're you're just as frustrated as me i mean you you feel that 2024 is so important i i I mean it is probably i thought the last election was the most important one of our life i feel like this is the one jennifer oh i i agree although i've kind of you know like you i keep thinking this is the one this is the one and then it just never kind of turns out and we just keep going further and further and further so down. Do you think it was a sign when the the tree at the White House fell over? <laughs> <laughs> so they had the decorated tree. What was that a metaphor? And and there's what been all mean? these memes to include. Uh, Ambassador Grinnell put one on his page too that you know this is the Biden administration. The, the, even the damn Timber, tree can't even. Yeah, can't handle. Can't even it. stay up. Yeah. Charlie Brown can't even make that jump that tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
also, well, I just feel like it's so important. And then, of course, lovely. Oh, this one, this story cracks me up is um, George Santos got his hand slapped and everybody wanted to voted to be expelled yesterday because apparently he used campaign funds for his Botox, Uh his Prada, and then he had only fan accounts. Mm. Can you imagine using yeah. campaign funds to get your Botox? Well, they did kick him out. Yeah. No, yeah. they voted yesterday to kick him out. And then did you read how um, Senator Fetterman, I think he was on like The View or something, was because ta- I had thought to myself, well, what about like Senator Menen- uh, Menendez? Oh, yeah. yeah and why aren't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually shocked that I agreed with anything that Fetterman said? Yeah, what did he say? He said, well, what about the, you know, what about Menendez? What about, you know, he's practically a senator for Egypt versus, you know, <laughs> we should be, yes, we oh should my be gosh, kicking the, him out too. Like I was the like, first time I've ever liked anything. He, I know. He's definitely getting better cognitively and some of the things I've seen. Um, I still think what I'm they did not to a fan, him. Just saying, no, I just no. could. I was surprised. But what was interesting? Our new speaker and um, the whip and Scalise all did not vote to expel him. And the speaker commented that he didn't want to expel him because this sets a precedent. Because they're not like that. a court case, right? I agree with that. He actually hasn't been like indicted of anything yet. Yeah. But how interesting, too, um, the other breaking news was um, Hunter Biden. They wanted to have him behind closed doors where he has to put his hand on a Bible to testify of, Mm. the you know, the Biden crime family. And he wants to do it out in public because you don't have to, I guess, go under oath, Jennifer. They are a devout Catholic family. (laughs) Ha ha. If you say you're devout as a Catholic, you're not. Yeah, no, I've been fighting that fight yes. with the abortion and receiving communion mm. because, you know, it's a different level for us. But I um, love how um, Hunter's dictating the uh, the rules here or what he's willing to do or not do. You need to get well, in there and testify, buddy. I mean, he's going to say that it was it all comes down to drugs, you know, um, and not my laptop and not all these really Russian, pretty skinny Russian prostitutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I, I, it's just so embarrassing. Is it, his it, dad on drugs that he won't recognize his uh, grandchild? Eighth well, that's grandchild, the seventh, other story in the afterburner was something's missing at the White House because she posted like Melania and they all do the White House stuff. Right. And so if you follow the White House on Instagram, which I, I've always followed it, and normally it's been a pro-Biden message, it's everybody's hurting. I, I'm telling you, every single post now, there, there's not even like one. There's probably one person in a hundred mm-hmm. that is pro this this administration. Mm-hmm. I've I've never seen because yeah, there's always the anti people on every page. Mm-hmm. But everyone is like, you're killing us with the economy and and the border. And you know, we didn't even get into the border with the ambassador. Oh, yeah. But um, been it's been so much fun with you in here. Thank you. Can I? I'd like to compliment <laughs> you on your jams that you play coming into and going out of. Well, I want to thank all segment. of our guests, um, Vice Chairman Evan Power, and he's got a lot on his plate this week. He couldn't talk about with, um, you know, is he going to be our new chairman for the Republican Party of Florida? Because we lead the way. We can't have a dirty anybody dirty or under no. indictment. And then thank uh, Mayor Michael Doc Rowan because he's got a lot. But we'll be back and wish everybody, uh, you know, stay dry. We'll be back. Thanks, Jennifer, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Veronica Live on News Talk 101.
You have arrived at your final destination.